Hi everyone, welcome to episode 53 of the Switch Focus podcast. Um, I'm your host, not Andy Corrigan. I'm Ginny Wu and I'm joined by my co-host, not Andy Corrigan, Andrew Brown. So as you can tell, Andy Corrigan um, is not here with us this week, but that's okay. I'm sure we'll have him back soon enough. But we have got a pretty big show for you. We're going to talk about the Nintendo Direct, which everyone was freaking out over. And we're also going to talk about what we've played this week. So briefly, that will be Diablo, a little bit of Dark Souls, and some other kind of smaller titles, I guess, on the eShop that may have passed under your radar. All right, let's kick things off with um, our first segment, the latest Switch news. Just really quickly, um, we've had news that the YouTube app is going to come to the Switch on November the 8th, which is uh, only a couple days away at the time of recording. I mean, I guess we figured this was going to happen. It's one step away from having the Netflix app on there, which is basically what every other console has at this point. So, I mean, it's expected. Probably I'm not going to want to watch my YouTube videos on the Switch, but it'd be cool if they actually had maybe increased or better YouTube upload integration. That might be helpful for people that want to do, I guess, video capture on the Switch. But then obviously the 30 second time limit thing is, is a bit of a downer. I don't know. Andrew, you probably don't really care about YouTube being on the Switch, do you? I think we're in the same boat. I watch a lot of YouTube, but I don't know if I'd watch any of it on the Switch. Usually if I want to watch something on my console to my main display TV, I will use my Wii U to do it. But for the most part, I just watch stuff on my computer. Well, yeah, that's a uh, two out of two. Not really concerned about the YouTube app coming to the Switch. In other news as well, Nintendo has released their annual financial report for the financial year, which says that the Switch hardware sales so far have now reached 22 million, which is basically more than the GameCube sold in its entire lifetime, which is pretty impressive, but also expected, I think, with the trajectory of the games that we've had on the Switch so far. I thought it would sell this well. I mean, Andrew, I assume you're of the same mind. Yes. (laughs) Great. No conflict at all on this podcast. Awesome. And on top of the success of the Switch as well, there are a couple of games that have done particularly well individually. So Mario Odyssey, Breath of the Wild, and Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, aka Nintendo's flagship push this stuff real hard games, they've all sold over 10 million copies. So impressive, but obviously also expected because those are sort of the mainline titles that Nintendo was pushing when the Switch came out for the very first time, and it obviously had a really, really big bumper first year, which we covered briefly a couple episodes ago, so again, that doesn't surprise me. What does surprise me a little bit more is that Fortnite is actually installed on almost half of all Switch hardware, so I am not really a Fortnite Switch player. I don't really want to become one. This is surprising to me that almost half the people that own this console have Fortnite installed on it, and are, I guess, potentially playing Fortnite. On the Switch? I mean, I know you do it, Andrew, and so does Andy a little bit. I, I mean, it guess wouldn't be my first port of call for a shooting game, but I, I guess you guys must be loving it. I actually ex- thought it would be higher because, you know, Fortnite doesn't cost anything to install. Mm. But I think I'm just coming to that from the mindset that if it's free, I should install it because that is definitely the policy I have towards almost all the free-to-play games on Switch. I don't think there's any one that I haven't downloaded yet. 
But just because you've downloaded something doesn't mean you've played it. I mean, look at the number of people who buy a game online and pay money for it mm. and don't ever play it. So this doesn't surprise me at all, really. Cool. Well, different strokes for different folks, and Fortnite is not one of my strokes. So glad if, you know, good for you if it is. I guess this sort of signals that there is going to be a, a, a bigger market for Battle Royale games. I mean, I'm sure it's not just the free element that a lot of people are perhaps drawn to that might make people try it out i guess but i i mean i i think we can safely say with fortnite's general popularity it makes sense if other games would go that route as well for switch releases which is cool more game variety is always good the other bit of switch news is the nintendo direct which is a big chunk of news really should have its own section but that's okay so we're just going to kind of i guess run through some of the the main points here, a laundry list of what stood out, and then we'll kind of pop in and out with the stuff that seemed particularly important to us. So just in general, obviously, it's introduced Ken as a Ryu Echo Fighter and Incineroar, which both of them all over Twitter. They're also limiting the initial fighters to the original Smash 64 roster. And forget about trophies, you're now going to collect spirits, and these are going to make your fighters stronger. You can sort of give them support spirits, primary spirits, and you basically to compete special things to earn a chance at capturing them, which is pretty cool as well. So I guess more systems within systems. And on top of that, there's also, we learn a little bit more about the online play in the new Smash game. So the for fun slash for glory mode is now gone. You can pre-register rules that you want, and then these rules can be picked at random before a match begins with other people. And where possible, they try and match your rules with those of other people that have already, I guess, have a similar rule set. On top of that, there's also a Smash World app coming out in 2019, which looks like what could be a video sharing application, maybe like a player viewer thing. Stay tuned on this front, we're not 100% sure on that. And obviously a return of assist trophies and me fighter outfits. So a couple of highlights for the assist trophies. We have arms assist trophies, Mega Man, Mario Paint, Fight Emblem Awakening trophies. It wouldn't surprise me these eventually became characters, especially with the arms one, for example. But who knows for now. And a bunch of cool outfits for me fighters. The Yiga Clan outfits, Platoon 2 outfits, and also Ribbon Girl outfits as well. There'll be a fighter pass, which will have five fighters, five stages, and five music DLC packs for 25 USD, which is, I guess, a good price, but nothing confirmed yet as to content, and they estimate that all the DLC will be out by 2020. And then, obviously, the two big bits of the Smash Direct. Piranha Plant Fighter, which you will be able to get either online or getting a physical copy registered with my Nintendo to get. Bless our Piranha Fighter. But he won't be out for a couple of months after release. And then the World of Light, which sees Kirby as the sole survivor of a light-motivated genocide against all the other characters in the Smash franchise. It's a lot to go through. We'll zero in on some of the points, I suppose, that we thought were particularly important. I'm just going to rewind all the way back to the spirits. So like I said before, the spirits are like progression systems within progression systems, right? So you can collect spirits, you can earn them by doing challenge modes, and you can also earn them and, and use them in different ways. They can level up, kind of like Pokemon, you can train them, and you can release them to earn materials for new spirits. So how do you feel about this, I suppose, pseudo-crafting system here, Andrew? Well, I remember the stickers in Super Smash Bros. Brawl, and I remember the alternate moves in Smash 4, and I remembered how much content, really, there was in these systems. 
and how few people actually bothered to engage with them. And I see the exact same thing happening here. Mm. It looks like a really in-depth system that's going to completely overturn the metagame, but for that very reason, the pro players aren't going to play it, because they need a baseline to work from. And the pro players mm. are where the longevity of Smash Brothers really comes from. And then casual players, this system just looks so in-depth, there's so much to it that casual players just aren't even going to bother with it at all. They're going to get overwhelmed and just immediately move on to just playing versus mode. I I have personally on Smash 3DS, I unlocked all of the alternate moves. I got the trophy for it. I got the, all the achievements in the game for it. I never actually played with them. I see the same thing happening with spirits where I spend a lot of time unlocking all of the spirits, but as towards actually mm. assigning the spirits to my characters and things like that, although it does look there's like a pretty cool system in it where like if you're in a level that has fire on the floor, as part of its special rules, you know, you can equip a spirit that gives you resistance to fire. That makes sense. But mm. I don't know. At the same time, I don't see myself really spending a lot of time with this mode. It looks like a lot of stuff for very little result, which is, as I said, with the stickers and with the alt moves is kind of par for the course with Smash Brothers in the past few iterations. Uh, I'm extremely skeptical yeah i think you're right i don't think it's gonna catch on like at all i think you're right in that the pro players that are looking forward to smash ultimate are not going to be fiddling with this mode and casual players that make up i guess the other portion of the player base are just not going to actually feel the need to invest in all this stuff if you're just kind of bashing around with it with your mates or with friends or just wanting to do versus you won't really want to bother with this stuff at all it just takes too much time and effort and i mean Grinding them out is one thing, but doing things like leveling them up by feeding them things or like training them in things or like having that pseudo crafting whereby you can disenchant them in a way for extra materials and then make other things, that just is kind of taking it to another level of intricacy, which you're right, is not going to be used. So that's fair enough. I personally will not probably care that much about the spirit stuff. I am going to play this game just to beat up on my brother. So <laughs> if you're someone that likes these kind of embedded systems within systems within systems and you find it fulfilling to grind these things out, then go hard. I'm, I'm sure there are people out there that do it. That's why the franchise keeps, I guess, throwing them in there. So why not? But personally, I guess, not really for either me or Andrew. And on top of that, let's move forward and I guess the Nintendo Smash Direct run and talk a little bit about the the online mode. So now we can see they've got this ranking system called Global Smash Power, which is basically measures your skill on on each character. So this is a really common thing already in a lot of like MOBAs and other games that involve fighting. You get like a rank based on your character's individual performance or your individual role performance. And this will show you that and show you how well you're doing on Bayonetta compared to every other Bayonetta player. At particularly high global smash power levels, you can enter elite battles against people of similar GSP. And you'll also have to create a smash tag to play online, and when you kick someone's butt in the game, it will give you a copy of their smash tag. And the one thing which I was a little bit iffy about was that they had that little caveat in the direct which said that you should play online with a wide adapter and a connection. So I know, Andrew, you're probably feeling the same about the online features and the Switch Online stuff so far. Do you think that's going to be a problem? I've played every Smash iteration since Brawl Online, 
you know, just to check it out. And I've never had a good experience in any of them. I've never had a good connection in any of them. And also, all of those are played on Wi-Fi, obviously. And I don't understand why that is, because, you know, I play Splatoon online. I don't have a problem. I play games like Injustice 2 or Mortal Kombat online. I don't have a problem with those. So I don't know what is going on with Smash Brothers. I'm sure there's a perfectly reasonable explanation that somebody is more, who's more technically minded and technically experienced can explain it to me, but this is the experience I have had, and especially with Sakurai flat out telling us, please play this game online with a wired connection, I'm not expecting to have any better time in Smash Ultimate, but that is okay. I am perfectly willing to play this game offline, as I have done extensively in every installment previously. It's not a deal breaker for me. It's a completely tangential issue for me. Uh, it, it's it's an issue, but it's one I don't care about. On top of that, do any of the assist trophies or Mii Fighter outfits grab your attention, Andrew? Or maybe some of the modes? I know they've got Century Smash again, so 100-man smash on different stages. All-star mode, and also a replay mode, which I guess involves a new Smash World app, which looks, yeah, like a player, I guess, player view sort of app. Will you get any particular use of any of those things? I'll play Century Smash in all-star mode to earn... I guess the spirits, uh, since we don't have trophies anymore, but uh, I'll play those to earn those yeah. things in that, and, you know, maybe to unlock characters, if there's characters to unlock. It does look like they've really expanded these modes out, because these modes were very tedious to play in previous versions of the game, because they were always the same every time. Like, that was a problem that Classic mm-hmm. Mode even had in Nintendo 64, where it was the same characters in the same order every single time and it got really boring really fast and they tried to fix that uh, air quotes fix that in melee by putting in the adventure mode and then it had the classic mode but adventure mode ran into the same problem where it was the same thing every time you played it but the classic mode which was the air quotes same thing as it was in smash 64 was randomized so it was a lot more interesting to play it and replay it and it looks like they've taken that and they've they've really applied that to century smash which is the 100 man right, smash yeah. but you can play it on multiple stages now rather than just on battlefield and then there's all-star mode mm-hmm. which before to get into all-star mode you had to unlock every single character which depending upon which version you of the game you're playing was quite an undertaking but here you have all-star mode available immediately and how it works is it's basically it sounds like it's going to be like cruel melee where every single character that you've unlocked just keeps fighting you in waves until finally you go down and you just see how far you can make it. I think that's a, that sounds like a, a much more interesting spin on the all-star mode compared to what we've seen in the past. Alrighty, um, before we move on from the beautiful product that's going to be Smash Ultimate, the World of yes. Light thing. <laughs> Suffering incarnate. <laughs> How do you feel about that? This seems the kind of thing for you. This kind of seems like Hyrule Warriors Adventure Mode a little bit, and I kind of like that. You just you stole the breath out of my mouth and just put it in yours and just <laughs> said what I was going to say. Yeah, uh, uh, if you follow me on social media or even just listen to past episodes of the podcast, I've said I'm interested in Smash Brothers. I know I'm going to like it, but there's just been nothing announced that's really excited me. It's just more Smash Brothers. Like, okay, what are we going to do? You can play versus mode, okay? Like, I asked for Master Orders to come back from Smash for Wii U. I love Master Orders. It doesn't look like that's coming back. But this World of Light mode looks great, because I was 
watching the video for a second time when I was taking show notes for the podcast, and I got to looking at that, and I saw, wait a minute. So we've got a character running around maps based on the different properties that appear in Smash Brothers. It looks like there's at least a couple dozen stages on each map. This is Hyrule Warriors. I'm really excited for this mode. As you know, I love Hyrule Warriors Adventure Mode. I think it's one of the greatest side missions ever made in any game ever released. And this looks like the same philosophy. So, you know, what we will exactly be doing in each of these stages, what it unlocks... Uh, whether there are bosses, you know, how in-depth it goes, whether they're going to keep supporting it with more releases through DLC, you know, all that remains to be seen. But based on just this preliminary appraisal of it, of it being adventure mode, but in Smash Brothers, I am mm. finally have something in Smash Brothers to be excited about. I'm very happy. Awesome. Yeah, I think it looks really, really cool. After I was done crying uh, when everyone died <laughs> in the trailer. Snake hiding um, in his box. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, this is, you know, it was a little bit sad. But then, I mean, I, I think it's great. I think that it definitely offers another element to the game that I wasn't expecting. And like Andrew, I really, really loved Harold Wars Adventure Mode. I know Annie was a bit of a harder sell on it, but I loved that. And I loved that idea specifically the whole exploring different worlds and having like actual achievable, well, well, it depends on my skill level, actual goals to work towards when I'm playing this game, not just kind of mindlessly bashing away at other people. That is enjoyable for me. So I am super, super, super happy. And like Andrew was saying, there's probably some other stuff that they'll tie it into in the future with more content in Smash. And I'm sure we're saving them for a reason. So it, yeah, no, it looks good. Overall, my thoughts on Smash, um, which I already shared last week, I'm really, really hyped for it, really excited for it, and this stuff has just made me more excited. So yeah, I'm sure we'll all be cracking into Smash and we'll have our thoughts for you once we've been able to do that. Let's move on to our next section where we talk about what we played this week. This week, Andrew has been cracking into some games that I've been playing, but I have neglected the holy grail of games, Dark Souls Remastered, but I know that Andrew's actually <laughs> has had a look at that. So you were the one on the podcast that hadn't actually played Dark Souls thoroughly yet. So I think you got to maybe like a little bit into it on other platforms or not even bothered with it, or you might only have not have played it, unlike Andy and myself. So now that you've had some time to let the magic sink in, how do you feel about Dark Souls? It's okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm not that far into it. I think I'm about a third of the way into it. I'm, I'm at the entrance to Sen's Fortress. And, mm. you know, I'm just... I'm not that excited about it. It's not that I dislike it. Okay. It's just, you mm -hmm. know, everything that Dark Souls done has been copied and copied again by yeah. a lot of different games, especially indie games that just like nothing that it's really doing is really surprising me it's like yeah okay i've heard about this or i've i've seen this in like you know dead cells or whatever and e even the yeah. things that dark souls was doing it wasn't completely new i mean like if somebody had come up to me six years ago and said you should try this it's metroid but it's a gothic action rpg i probably would have actually played it but nobody would do that they would just talk <laughs> about how hard it was so i just wasn't all that interested in ever yeah. playing it yeah sure. so i i am invested in it i'm definitely going to finish it but you know, everything That's ev good. <laughs> Everything about Dark Souls has been said 
uh, up until now, and I don't have anything more to say about it, ex- uh, except I missed it when it was new, so I, I can't gush about it effusively, because I've seen all this stuff since in other games, and, you know, I, I'm enjoying it. I like it. Uh, if they put out Dark Souls 2 on Switch, I will definitely buy it. Uh, I'm still skeptical Dark Souls 3 is able to run on the hardware, but I, I'm happy to be proven wrong. And uh, even Bloodborne on PS4, I'm, I'm planning to buy it this coming Black Friday when I can get it cheap, because, you know, oh, I, I'm okay. into this. Uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm just, you know, it, it, it's Dark Souls. It, it's good. I knew it was good. I just wasn't interested in playing it. So I, I confirm that affirmation. It's good. Cool. Yeah, I mean, Bloodborne might actually be more your speed. It's got more of a narrative focus and involvement than Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. So that might actually make you more incentivized to... I mean, I know you're going to finish it, but that might actually spur more of your interest and make it feel less like a a conversation about difficulty. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> we'll see where that goes, but that's good. No, that's, that's actually really good. I mean, worst case scenario, you're going to hate it. So <laughs> I'm pleased that you're enjoying yourself and that you are going to finish it. And it is an experience. I personally have really masochistic love-hate relationship with games like this. Like, I remember when I first plunged into it, I thought I was useless at games and coordination, and I hated and hated and hated it. But then after a while, it was like, it became a point of pride to finish them. And then I got so sucked in, played Bloodborne, all the other Dark Souls games, and now we're here. I'm glad that you're enjoying it, and I wish I had more time to spend on it on the Switch version. But like I said, it, it plays well, it handles well for what it is, and then again, it's not particularly... It wasn't the prettiest game anyway. <laughs> It wasn't like I expected the Switch to struggle with the ability to run Dark Souls. So it's fluid. The controls are great. I actually prefer the control scheme in in Sinner slightly, but that might just be uh, my internal bias talking because Sinner is the most recent, I suppose, most exciting Dark Souls-esque iteration I've seen. But it is a good, solid game, a classic game. And if you haven't played it before, like Andrew hadn't really cracked into it, this is probably a good place to start. I kind of feel like I rage less when I die on the Switch version. Um, maybe just because it doesn't feel like I'm... It's like a, like a different experience, right? Playing on the handheld, tucked up in bed, as opposed to at my desk screaming at my computer. Um, so who knows? It, this might be the way to ease you into Dark Souls and Souls-like games. So give it a crack if you're new. We both recommend it, I'm sure. On top of that, there's also the Diablo 3 Eternal Collection, da, 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 which we've all been eagerly awaiting. So I'm a hardcore Diablo 3 fan. By hardcore, I don't mean I rank leaderboards. I mean, I love playing the game with my mates, and I played a lot on the PC. And I'm pleasantly surprised and pleased to note that it runs perfectly fine. <laughs> it is completely fine. It is obviously not the same graphic fidelity that I would get if I was playing on Ultra on PC like I normally do, but it looks fine. It runs fine. It probably is one of the more iconic games I've ever played, just because of the freedom it gives me in an RPG setting. I know it's got like a whole cheesy angels demon story, but the classes are varied. They all have a very set role, I think, and you can obviously play classes however you like, depending on the seasonal gear that you get. So it gives me just enough freedom to keep me interested, but not too much that I'm unmotivated to get to a particular goal. So I love it. I think it handles well control-wise, like every other game on the Switch. I basically just want to play in handheld, and it's fine. And having Diablo Portable is a really, really great experience. Andrew, how are you finding it? I know you've been streaming it for us, so people might have already seen some of your shenanigans against the Lords of Hell. 
But how are you finding the game overall? Diablo 3 has kind of taken this journey since it came out in 2012. When it came out in 2012, it was a really flawed game, and it needed a lot of work mm. to make it great. And I think it became great when Reaper of Souls came out and it fixed a lot of the, the fundamental problems in the game. And it, it, they've added a lot of quality of life improvements since Reaper of Souls, which has made it even better. I kind of look at the console release versions of it, especially the Switch version, as continuing that improvement of the game because I, I was worried about how it was going to handle, especially after my experience with Titan Quest on Switch over the summer. Oh, that's yeah. right, yeah. Uh, but no, this this handles great. I still can't target things, you know, like specifically and min- minutely. I can't specifically pick that one monster that I want to kill in the middle of a pack, you just can't do it with a joystick. But Diablo 3, that doesn't really matter, because you're usually focused on just wiping out huge packs of enemies, and one thing I've actually noticed is, even though it's harder to target specific enemies in the console version of Diablo 3, the way it's set up with the joysticks and with the dodge roll ability, which is exclusive to the console versions, it's actually a lot easier to avoid taking damage as well. So it might be harder to hit things, but it's also harder for things to hit you. So it balances out in that way, and it makes it the same content that's in the PC version of the game, but it actually plays very differently, I would say. I've gotten through to Act 4 now. I'm going to do Act 4 as soon as we're done recording the podcast here, and I'm going to try to get Act 5 done tomorrow. I've been really enjoying my time with it. I haven't replayed the story since Reaper of Souls. Yeah, since out? Reaper of Souls came out, yeah, which I think same. was in 2014. It's been a while, uh, and uh, I missed the Rise of the Necromancer add-on pack, which added the Necromancer playable character to the game, because I think that came out right when the Switch came out. So you know, I was I was playing Breath of the Wild, <laughs> and uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so I've been playing through the story with the Necromancer and really taking my time. There are a lot of things, like, the game kind of assumes that you're experienced in the game already, I think, because, like, the the adventure mm-hmm. mode is open right from the start. You used to have to unlock that. Yeah. Hardcore mode is also available right from the start. You used to have to unlock that. So if you're experienced in Diablo 3 already, you can drop straight in and immediately go towards the endgame stuff. If I had gone right into adventure mode, I would be level 70, and I would be doing greater rifts already, but I, I really wanted to do the story with the Necromancer, and... It's been reminding me uh, of a lot of the ways the first four acts were playable, but flawed in many ways. Like, the first act really tells a story and really makes you feel like you're exploring this area. And then acts two, three, and four are just kind of like this straight shot and things just happen. And their lengths go down. It, It was a very strangely put together game. But Reaper of Souls and Act 5 are... They're brilliant. They're the best thing in Diablo 3. And I'm very happy to revisit it on the Switch. It's very playable. The menus are a little awkward to, to play with because since you're playing on a console, they custom-built new menus for the game, which I, I appreciate. They, they went to a lot of effort to make it more playable on the console, whereas Titan Quest literally just had the PC menus and you just moved through them with the D-pad, which worked, but it was awkward. Diablo 3 has radial menus on everything. They get really minute. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. and uh, speaking as someone who played the PC version so much, I I got lost a lot in all these new menus, (laughs) but they work really well. They're functional. You You just have to learn them, and I think 
people coming into it with no PC experience are probably going to have an advantage there. But that that was pretty yeah. much my only complaint about the Switch version. Complaint in air quotes because yeah, <laughs> they still work. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair enough. That was sort of my only main gripe as well, was just dealing with the menus, because I'm so used to the PC yeah. version, and I guess the amount of detail that you get as well is is different. Like Andrew, I've kind of, I guess, followed the game since it came out and played it on PC and seen everything from the rise and fall of the terrible auction oh, house. Oh, God, to, the um... real money auction house. <laughs> To, to, I guess, the state the game is in now, you know, when Seasonal first launched and we had to deal with, uh, you know, the blood shards and upgrading and greater rifts and all the other stuff. And it's come a long way. And in a sense, I guess, if you buy it on the Switch, you're skipping all the other stuff that we oh. had to endure as PC players, as the guinea pigs. So this really is the best iteration, mm-hmm. I think. And you can play it offline, too, which is the big seller, and exactly. play it portably. I mean, it, yeah. that's the evolution there. The PC version, online only, yeah. even today online only mm-hmm. yeah ps4 xbox one you can play those offline but you're still tied to your tv on the switch portable you can play it anywhere you want that is amazing uh, you do have to watch out though if you make a season character you can only play that character when you are connected to the blizzard servers so if you want to play portably make sure that you're making it a non-season character otherwise there will be situations where the game will not let you play it just a warning there. I did a lot of testing on this on Friday night to figure all this stuff out. Yeah, seasonal is another big part of Diablo 3, which is really enjoyable, I think. So yeah, keep that in mind for sure. That doesn't surprise me that you're only able to play that stuff online. But like I said, try and make, make another character as well. You know, enjoy the story if you haven't looked at it in a while. I, I think it's always fun to actually go back and revisit these story beats with, I guess, your knowledge and go, oh, right. That super obvious thing. <laughs> it's just super obviously telegraphed, but I didn't know it at the time. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's always quite fun. So yeah, 100% recommend that. I, I definitely think that it's the best version of the game so far. And a bit like how Armello on the Switch really is the best, most recent version of the game content-wise, Diablo 3 is just like that. So highly recommend it. I'm hoping that with Diablo 3 doing well, that if we ever get another Diablo game in the future for, I guess, like a, a mainline console that they'll put one on the Switch because they clearly can yeah. do it mechanically. It performs great. And I think people are interested enough to actually shout out for it. So this is good. I enjoy that Blizzard's getting more invested into the Switch. Yeah, Blizzard is usually really good about making their games playable on lower class hardware. That kind of went away with Overwatch a little bit where Overwatch doesn't support Mac at all. And I've never heard a good explanation for that. Actually, I have a friend who writes for Macworld. He he makes a little joke of asking that about Blizzard whenever he gets a chance and he never gets an answer. <laughs> Uh, But Diablo 3 runs on a lot of stuff. I mean, it's running on Switch, obviously, which of the three major consoles plus PCs out right now is obviously, in technical terms, the least powerful. And it runs great on that. I had it it crashed once in Dolger Oasis in Act 2, which I'm pretty sure is because Mm -hmm. Dolger Oasis is the single largest area in the game. I'm pretty sure that's why it crashed, is it it just couldn't handle it and it just farted and... I'm, I hope they'll put in a patch and, you know, fix little things like that. But other than that, it's run at full 60 FPS the whole time. I haven't noticed any drops or anything to deal with and just had the one crash. And Diablo 3 is a kind of game where if it crashes, it's no big deal. You just jump right back in and you just go right back to where you were and you barely notice the difference. For sure. I really hope that if they make Fallout 4, well, we, we know they're making Fallout 4. And 
Diablo yeah. 4. Wow, okay, yeah. <laughs> Fallout, Fallout 4. 4. I'm looking, like, literally, I'm looking at a picture of Fallout 4 on my Twitter timeline right now. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, it wouldn't be yeah. bad if they brought Fallout 4. Like, you know, why not? Bring everything. Give me a remaster of Fallout <laughs> New Vegas, please. I'd love that on the Switch if anyone's listening. So, yeah. Sounds good. Diablo 3. Get it. Right, right. Now for some games that Andrew hasn't played. Um, I don't think he's going to play either of these. <laughs> That's okay. We've got Ginny's obligatory Asian game section time. So I have played Will, A Wonderful World, which is a VN-esque puzzle game. And Taiko no Tatsujin. So that's Taiko the Drum. It is an arcade game. I mentioned this briefly a couple episodes ago that I was really, really hyped for Taiko. I was actually really interested in that game until all the packaging information came out. And it's like, if I'm not going to have the drum controller, I'm not going to play this game. What's the point? Yeah, so that that is the one big thing. No drum controller. If you are lucky enough to be in Japan or to enjoy being an Asian country to enjoy the Japanese release, the drum controller would have been a possibility, a great possibility. Probably the only way that you get the full arcade cabinet experience. The rest of us, (laughs) sad heathens in the West, do not get that. As a heads up, (laughs) yeah, you're going to have to play it um, handheld or with motion controls. So for the uninitiated, Taiko no Tatsujin is a drumming game whereby in the arcade you'd literally be drumming on a big old drum and you'd be drumming in the middle or on the side to a bunch of songs. It is a drumming rhythm game. Just based on that alone, if you are not into rhythm games, you're not going to really have much here to enjoy. I mean, the fact that you're missing the whole kinetic element of physically drumming and having that kind of feedback is is already a, a tough sell. This really would be a game for someone that already knows about Taiko no Tatsujin or a game for people that like rhythm games and want something a little bit more upbeat, cheery, and totally colourful than Voez or Demo, for example. So for me, the main difference between Taiko and other games on the Switch store that are rhythm games is just Taiko is so bright, so cheerful, and it just kind of feels like a game that you could enjoy on either end of the spectrum. So you've got people that are rhythm game newbies, maybe, that are in it for, I guess, the aesthetic, and then and maybe the music, and then people that love rhythm games and want to play on, like, extreme difficulty because they're masochistic. That is me. I'm on that side of the, on that side of the spectrum. It's a great, fun game. You pick, like, an avatar, a drumming avatar, and on the Switch version, you can pick Kirby or the Splatoon Squid and a number of, I guess, Nintendo unlockables to be the drumming avatar that represents you as a player. And when you drum well, the avatar dances. And does sound things and is really adorable. And other animals dance and flowers dance and desserts dance. And it's just like a riot of color, essentially, and, and just a lot of visual stuff going on. So Taiko no Tatsujin is a game that what you're doing well gives you really, really adorable visual feedback. But what you're doing badly, it doesn't take that away. Like, it doesn't go all sepia tone or be like, oh, miss. Or like, oh, streak broken. Like, it is very much a game that is about very, very positive visual feedback. So I think that's sort of what makes the game people associate with like a kid-friendly endeavor because it's so colorful and upbeat. And the music is very Japanese-skewed. Sorry, Andrew. It's Vocaloid music, anime music, and Nintendo music as well for the Switch version. There's a Splatoon medley. There's also music from Super Mario Odyssey. And you unlock more tracks by playing the game. So essentially, it is Attack on no Tatsujin, the arcade game, but dialed down onto handheld. You can play with the Joy-Cons, like you're kind of beating a drum, but that is not really accurate, I found. It's a game whereby you have to hit the middle or the sides of a drum kit in the arcade cabinet, right? So you're simulating that experience with the Joy-Cons. But if you're like, I guess, bring your hands up 
and down to hit the center of the drum. If you bring your hands up and you move them sideways, it registers as like a sideway hit on the rim of the drum sometimes, which is a whole different stroke and a whole different, I guess, beat coding for the song. So that will count as like a miss or a bad. So that is one thing that I think they could have worked on to get it more accurate if you're not giving us Western players the drum kit option. Could you please make sure that the Joy-Con option works pretty much flawlessly for like hit detection? Because otherwise it's just too hard. Please, Nintendo. Apart from that, you can play in handheld, but obviously you don't get the visual satisfaction of beating something. You're just pressing buttons and relying on HD rumble, which is fine in itself, but not the way the game, I guess, is meant to be played. All in all, I'm enjoying my time with it. I love rhythm games. I love Japanese anime music, Japanese game music. I'm a giant weeb, so this is like kind of right up my alley here with this aesthetic. But if you don't and you have heard about the game and think, oh, you know, I really want to play Taiko, like that Switch version is not the definitive version of the game. I'm just going to put it that way. If you're a hardcore rhythm game fan, sure, you might still love it, I still love it, but just beware that unlike Diablo 3, whereby the Switch version is the definitive, best, most current, improved version of the game, the Western Switch release is not. And uh, I guess apart from that, I have played Will, A Wonderful World, which is a, a narrative puzzle game whereby you play as a god and you listen to people's stories and their fates, like the sort of fate once they've, I guess, reached a conclusion and you unravel them and mix them around to give people better or worse outcomes. So it's a Chinese game and it's come out, I think, maybe just over about a week or maybe two weeks ago. It is really, really good. It kind of feels like a detective game almost and gives some pretty mature, heavy themes, which I didn't expect from a Chinese game. It reminded me a lot of subsurface circular in a way because you're obviously constantly having to follow threads and conversations to get to the right outcomes to guess at character motivations and stuff like that and to I guess generally propagate outcomes for interconnected people in this narrative puzzle there's like eight characters and they're all linked together somehow like gradually throughout the story your job is to basically make sure that no one dies <laughs> or nothing really bad happens to them that can't be, I guess, rewound by your magical god power. So I'm really enjoying it. It is a bit of a puzzler. I've been stuck at some points in the story for maybe about over an hour trying to figure out what I could have done better to help someone or like maybe there's a connection I missed somewhere and just like spending time getting to know and to read more about the characters in the game. So I love it, but it is basically all text. I'm not going to lie to you guys. It is basically all text and some photos, I guess, to give you an idea of what the characters look like or to, I guess, visualize their actions. But it is mostly a game based on passing text and figuring out detective clues from text. So I don't know if that sounds like your thing, Andrew, but I thought it was really interesting from a narrative standpoint. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yes is good. No, that's good. It is really unlike any game I've played on the Switch store that might sound hyperbolic. I know I use the circular comparison, but fundamentally that was a game that felt less like a puzzle and more like a choose your own adventure book. If you know, or choose your own outcome book, if that makes sense to you. Like it felt like there were probably maybe one of three preordained endings. There was a good and a bad way to get out of the puzzle at the heart of Subsurface Circular. And there was a lot of focus on getting you, the character, the outcome based on interacting with other people. In this game, it focuses a lot more on interpersonal relationships and I guess conversational nuances and actions. 
So while the other game and most narrative-driven games are about making choices and acting in certain ways, here you can alter people's conversations, you can alter people's, I guess, train of thought, alter things that people notice in the world around them. So there's a lot more engagement with the environment that the game is painting through its words, and that is what I found really, really interesting for me. And it's also, I guess, decently priced on the on the Switch store for a game like this of decent length. There are an immense amount of permutable outcomes. You know, you can have good, bad, average, amazing outcomes for every in-game interaction, and the game won't stop you. Like, if you have a bad one, the game doesn't end. You just keep going, and you have to live with the choice that you make. So I find that mechanic compelling because obviously life can't always turn out to be roses and sometimes people just make mistakes so i think it's a very humanizing game it's got uh, an anime visual style and the drawn photos that you see but it's not got any anime tropes that was my main worry when i saw the style i was like oh no this is gonna be like a high school romancing type thing gone wrong but it wasn't it was quite refreshing so i highly recommend will a wonderful world it's also on pc but I think being on the Switch fits it and makes sense. It's like reading a book anyway, so I prefer it in the handheld mode. And if you like narrative games, if you like puzzle games, if you like playing detective and want to play a mostly text-based game that does a really great job of painting environments without much visual stimulus, check out Will A Wonderful World. I highly recommend it. Let's move on to what we're playing this week. Um, I've just talked for about 10 straight minutes, so let's go on to what Andrew's going to play this week. Uh, More Dark Souls, more Diablo Mm 3, and uh, I think Mm -hmm. the game that originated the term roguelite is coming out on Tuesday. It's called Rogue Legacy, and there's a new free-to-play game called Brawlhalla coming out. I'm going to be checking that out, too. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, cool, good stuff. I'll be playing more Diablo 3 and trying to get an amazing outcome for the whole world in World of Wonderful World and unlocking more tracks in Taiko. I'm really keen to unlock more playable avatars in that game as well and see how far I get or at least see how many times I can play the same song without dying inside um, to unlock a particular avatar. So we'll see on that front how we go. And yeah, that's it for us this week. So, thanks for listening to this episode of Switch Focus Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on iTunes because it really helps to get us noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services as well. Um, If you want to, I'm not going to make you, but you can. You can join our Discord server to interact with the lively Switch Focus community, and they are pretty lively, trust me on this one. Um, You can also follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content, and we'll give links to you in the show notes. Um, And if you want to support the show, last of all, you can now buy us a coffee. I'll put deals for that on our website, and they're also in our Discord channel as well as a pinned post. So you can follow Andy individually at Flame Roast Toast and ask him how he's been going. You can follow Andrew at Play Critically. He also streams at twitch.tv slash playcritically and will be streaming pretty much most of what we talk about on the show. So if you're curious about a game and want to see what the first hour looks like, go check out Andrew's stream. And then you can follow me, I'm Ginny at Ginny Woes. That's G-I-N-N-Y-W-O-E-S. And thanks again for listening and we'll see you guys next week.